Okay, so we have been, as I said, in Colossians. And so if you're here for the first time or you're watching online for the first time, um, briefly to catch everyone up, uh, we've been talking about how the purpose of Colossians, Paul, Paul wrote this book to, to a church that he did not start. Uh, it was one of the few letters he wrote to, um, to a congregation, not just a local church, but to the body of believers in Colossae, um, whose testimony of love had reached Paul. Uh, Paul was blessed and, um, and, and encouraged by that testimony, and so he writes them back, encouraging them in their love for one another, encouraging them in the hope they have in, uh, in eternity. Um, and then he's also writing to help guard them against the temptations and the deceptions and the heresies to combine any other teaching with Jesus for, the ongoing, uh, for, the, for, for their ongoing sanctification, to make them righteous, not just for their salvation, but for their ongoing sanctification. And so they're being tempted with, with human philosophy. They're being tempted with legalism. We've studied these things at length, okay? And so now, having established who Jesus is, and if you remember in chapter one, Paul lays out this beautiful, uh, very poetic uh, identity of who Jesus is and what he's done, having established the identity of Christ, and then having established the identity of those who are in Christ, uh, Paul will now go into chapter three to describe what it looks like to put on that identity day to day. Um, and so Paul, uh, later in this chapter, he's going to lean heavily, and so we're gonna lean with him. Uh, we're, we're gonna lean heavily on, on this metaphor that Paul uses of, of putting on, well, first he would say taking off, putting off, and then putting on, he, he uses that phrase at least four or five times in this chapter. Uh, and so um, I think it's, it's, it's a great way to, to picture how as believers we resist the things Paul's calling us to resist and we embrace the things he's calling us to embrace. Last week, Pastor Brian did a great job of um, exposing and tearing down uh, the heresy of legalism and explaining why that can be tempting for a believer. Why you would think that rules aren't, you know, rules aren't fun. You would think rules would not be, be a temptation for us, but legalism is an ongoing temptation for us. We're constantly trying to define ourselves and our salvation by a set of rules or by a set of standards. And so Pastor Brian did a great job exposing that and tearing it down. And so as we go through chapter three, I mentioned that because it's gonna be very important that we keep those things in mind, that we continue to resist the temptation of legalism, because as we read these things, it'd be very easy for us to say, oh, here are the things that I have to do or that I have to be in order to be a, a Christian, or as Paul would say, in Christ. And again, I know we've said this before, but it bears repeating that these qualities that we're going to be reading about, they are not gateways into righteousness. These things are not gateways into heaven or into, into being even in Christ. These are the natural consequences or expressions of already being in Christ. If you're going to try and do the things that Paul talks about in chapter 3, in the power of your flesh or in the power of your will, you will encounter nothing but failure. Okay, so that needs to be said from the beginning. You can only live these things out fully as you do so in the power of Christ. And again, to kind of bring in Paul's metaphor of, of uh, taking or putting off and putting on, um, if I came here this morning and I'm standing here before you, but instead of what I'm wearing now, uh, let's say I am wearing a complete military uniform, um, military fatigues and, and camo, and I've got the vest, and I've got all the things um, I don't know what all goes into that. Some of you do better than I do, okay? But if, if, if I'm up here and, 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 and I look the part, okay, does that make me a soldier? You can answer with your heads. No, it does not. Um, I might look the part, but I haven't had the training. I haven't had the experience. I'm on a very different trajectory in life, right? So we can easily put on some of these things and fool ourselves, and maybe even fool other people, but what we put on does not change who we already are. In the same way, 
If, if I really was a soldier and I was on the battlefield, you better believe if I, am, if I hope to survive that or to be successful or effective in my mission, that I need to put on the right things. I need to put on the things that are going to make me effective, the things that reflect my training, the things that reflect my experience, and the things that reflect my mission. And so that's the picture I want you guys to have, I want all of us to have. When Paul is listing these things, he's saying, put off the things that do not reflect your mission and your identity in Christ in this world. Okay, don't, don't try to fake it. Right? And instead, put on Christ. And by putting on Christ, we will see that we will naturally put on the qualities of Christ. You cannot put on Jesus without putting on also the qualities of Jesus. It does not make sense, right? So, um, just a little bit of kind of introductory stuff to get us into chapter 3. So, uh, beginning in verse 1, I'm going to read the first four verses of chapter 3 and go back and um, go through things a, a little bit more, more closely. So, in verse 1 of chapter 3, If then you were raised with Christ... Seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth, for you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So at the beginning of this chapter, we have another one of these if statements in Colossians. It's the third one that we've encountered so far. Uh, and I think it's important for us to reflect on these because this, these if statements that Paul is giving, they, they tell us uh, uh, Paul's theology of what it really means to be in Christ. Um, and so if you remember in chapter 1, verse 23, you can just flip over briefly. In chapter 1, verse 23, Paul says, if indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast. He just got done listing all these qualities. He, he's saying, these things are true about you if indeed you continue, if there's that ongoing relationship, that ongoing connection with Jesus in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard. And then uh, last week in chapter 2, verse 20, as Pastor Brian read for us, it says, therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, and he's saying, why would you live for anything else? Why continue, to living, why continue living like the rest of the world if indeed you've truly identified with the death of Christ? And then we have this one here in chapter 3, if you were raised with Christ. So, here are the, the conditions, right? Um, having been, been crucified with Christ, if you are dead in Christ, if you have indeed been raised up to a new life in Christ, and then we're going to kind of retroactively grab the first one and put it at the end here, um, and if you continue in that faith, if you continue in the faith walking with Christ. Paul says these are the things um, that that biblically and scripturally means that we are what we call saved, or what Paul would say, in Christ. And the wording that he, I'm, I'm going to land here just for a minute, um, just on the whole if thing, and, uh, because the, the language that we use to describe our faith is important. Otherwise, otherwise, because you know, language shifts and evolves over time, and, and words lose their meaning or they gain new meaning, right? And so the language we choose to describe our faith and to share our faith with others is important, because if we're not careful, it can very easily get lost in this mix of religious jargon or just Christianese, what we call Christianese, right? Words that we, we're familiar with and we're comfortable with, but no one really knows what it means because we've stopped thinking about what it means. And so Paul uses vivid, vivid language on purpose um, because instead of losing its effectiveness, he wants his words to be effective tools for the gospel in vividly portraying what God requires of those who are in Christ. And so Paul uses vivid imagery of death and resurrection to describe what it truly means to be a believer. He doesn't say things like, 
And, and I apologize in advance if I'm stepping on toes here, okay? And I, I, I don't say this in a demeaning way. I realize there's, there's a reason why we've adopted this language, but I think even this language has come to lose its meaning because Paul doesn't say things like, if you ask Jesus into your heart, then you can go to heaven when you die. He doesn't say that. That's a very confusing phrase on its own, <laughs> let alone what it's, what it's come to represent to us. All right, he says instead, if you have died with Christ, and if you now live in new life with him, Jesus also employed vivid, even controversial language in his ministry, right? Um, he said crazy things like, if you want to follow me, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. I mean, you know, that's, that's kind of scary. It's like, why would you tell someone that? Uh, but people, like, the, his, his, whole, his whole method was just countercultural. He had crowds, crowds of people, thousands of people following him and wanting, wanting more of him. And then he turns and says, you have to eat me if you want to follow me. And then scripture says a bunch of them turned away. And I wonder, well, yeah, a bunch of them turned away. A bunch of us probably would have too. And then he also says things like, if you want to follow me, you have to pick up your cross and follow me and carry it. Now, to us... Over 2,000 years later, the cross has become a symbol of hope. The cross has become a symbol of our faith. And so the weight of that statement is lost on us. But we need to remember, Jesus has not been crucified yet when he said that, right? The cross was still a symbol of the most humiliating, torturous way that a, that a criminal would die. It was not a symbol of pride. It was not a symbol of hope. It was the last thing you would ever want to be associated with if you were a, a, a self-respecting citizen back then. And Jesus says, no, you need to identify, you need to pick up a cross of humility, a cross of pain, a cross of sacrifice if you want to follow me. He said things like, unless you hate your family, that one's the hardest one for me, right? Because unless you hate your parents and hate your whoever else, you know, then you're not worthy to follow me. And, and so the first century people who heard Jesus had no mistake in their minds of what it took, of what Jesus was requiring of them to follow him, right? There's no, there's no kind of like real vague, uh, you know, kind of feel-good language that Jesus incorporates. Um, you know what you're getting yourself into, and I wonder sometimes today um, what might happen if we stopped asking unbelievers to accept Jesus into their hearts so they could go to heaven and instead started asking them to die with Christ on the cross of sacrifice and then be resurrected into a new way of life. What would our response likely be? Well, I imagine we'd probably get fewer responses. Um, but I would also imagine that the ones who do respond would have a much better idea of what they're signing up for. Right? The language we use matters. So when Paul says, if you, these things are true, okay, he's not just throwing words around. He's not just placing needless conditions. Um, he's saying, look, before we can enjoy the benefits and the joys and, and this, the amazing wonder of what it means to be in Christ, these things have to be true, not just verbally, not just mentally, not just, okay, I, I, I believe that and I agree with it. No, it has to consume your life. And Paul's going to get into, into this chapter how, how it should look when those truths aren't just believed, but they become all-consuming in your life. Okay, so he says... If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. And so when Paul says above, I don't think, I don't think he means literally. You know, I, don't think, I don't think he believed that if you kept going higher and higher and higher into the atmosphere, eventually you would um, see God, right? Um, it's, 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 a, it's a figure of speech. It's a way of understanding how, 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 how God is in, is in a higher state. He says, my ways are not your ways, right? He is higher than us, not literally in terms of distance, but just in, in who he is. And so Paul says, Paul is, is drawing the Colossians, and by extension ours, he's drawing our attention uh, to higher things. He's saying, you are so busy settling for lesser things. You're so busy focusing on and thereby settling for things that you were not intended for. You were intended for more. 
You were intended for better. Not because you are better, but because Jesus is better, and he loves you that much. Okay, and so Paul is trying to draw uh, their attention. He says, set your focus, set your eyes where Christ is. Now, remember the context here, okay? So we can't lose sight of the context. Um, the Colossians are being tempted to set their eyes and their focus on earthly ways, earthly gateways into righteousness, right? Human philosophies, all those things we've already said. Okay. Um, but Paul is saying, why, why are you focusing on the things that are temporary? Why are you focusing on the things that in eternity will have no meaning, that 100 years from now will have no meaning? Instead, set your focus, set your eyes on the things that are above, the things that are higher than us, where Jesus is. We don't set our focus on the things above for the sake of, of heaven. We don't set our focus on the things above just, just to pursue something higher than us. We set our focus on the things that are above because that's where Jesus is, sitting at the right hand of the Father. Um, and so uh, if, this, if, if death in Christ and life in Christ, if that's truly who we are, uh, then the focus of our life's pursuit, the focus of our life's focus uh, should reflect that identity. Where you set your eyes, where you set your vision will reflect how you understand your identity. We cannot disconnect this verse from a couple of verses in, in, in chapter two. I read them before communion. I want to read them again just to kind of, uh, uh, they, they just enhance what Paul is saying in chapter three. So in chapter two, verses 12 and 13, and then I'm going to read verse 20. Verse 12 says, again, we've been buried with him in baptism in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses. And then in verse 20, therefore, if you died with Christ and the basic principles of the world, why, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations? Say, so again, if, if it's true about you, why do you still subject yourself to things that have no power in eternity, right? Um, so, um, so death, burial, and resurrection with Christ, this should change the way we pursue what we would call right living or what the Bible calls righteousness. This is important because it doesn't, it doesn't matter if you're a believer or not, right? The, the majority of people in this world, and I say the majority because there's always an exception, right? uh, the majority of people in this world understand and agree and acknowledge that we should try to be good moral people. I understand there's exceptions. I understand that that's defined differently by different cultures and throughout time, uh, by different, different times in history, okay? But as a, as a very uh, broad, overarching statement, most people acknowledge, yeah, we should try to be good people. We should try to live rightly, okay? But if the way as believers, if, if, if the way as those who are, who, who are in Christ, if the way that we pursue living rightly looks the same as those who are outside of Christ, then what difference has Jesus truly made in our lives? If we're, so, so, you know, if you talk to someone on, on the street and they say, you know, how do you be a good person? Or, or, or what, what should you do, right, to, 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 be, to be righteous? They might say things like, well, I have my, my good deeds outweigh my bad. I, I, I just try to do more good than bad, right? Or I try to make sure that, that karma is in balance. Or, or, I, or I just try to be really sincere about my beliefs. And as long as I'm sincere about who I am and who I think I am, then, then I think that's, that's enough, right? And so if we, as, as those who are in Christ, begin to adopt those ideas into our pursuit of righteousness, then what difference does Jesus make? So part of what Paul is saying here is that if you're going to pursue righteousness as a believer, the only thing that means is that you're pursuing Jesus. And so a consequence, a side effect, a bonus of pursuing Jesus and intimacy and relationship with Jesus is that all those things, righteousness, come along with it. And so Paul says, seek where Christ is. Set your eyes, seek the things that are above and I think all too often as believers, we don't seek 
Jesus earnestly day in and day out. We kind of casually glance his way throughout the week. Or we might look at him, we might consider him, but there's a difference between looking, glancing, and seeking, right? Because if you're seeking something, there is, there's action associated with that. There is a hunger associated with that, as opposed to just looking or just considering. Paul says, seek. And then um, we're told in Matthew 6, 33, just to kind of tie this passage together, uh, Matthew writes that Jesus says in Matthew 6, 33, that we are to seek first God's kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God, and then all these things will be added to you. Yeah, um, we, we acknowledge we should, we should be good people. We should try to pursue righteousness, but we do that by seeking first the kingdom of God. And then everything else, God takes care of everything else when the kingdom and identity in Christ is priority in our lives. And then in verse 3, Paul says, for you died... And he's no longer talking in, um, in conditional statements. He's not saying, if you died. He's saying, no, no, you have, okay? For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So this is a, a, a declarative statement, again, to the identity of the Colossians. You are dead, you have died, and now your life is hidden. And that word hidden... I love this because in the original Greek, um, hidden is, is, uh, is crypto, okay? Um, and I've got, I've got some really close friends in West Virginia that if they were hearing me say that right now, we would all be thinking the same thing. If, if, you're, if, you're, if you're a nerd like me, um, when you hear crypto, your first thought might be of, of Superman's faithful companion dog, right? right? Am I the only one? I'm the only one. Okay, that's fine. It's okay. Um, it's, in, it's in there. You're find. But for, if you are a normal person, or if you're a normal thinking person, um, and you hear the word crypto, you might think of something different. Okay? You're probably thinking of the word cryptic, right? Um, because that's where we get the English word cryptic comes from the Greek word crypto. And if you're being cryptic in how you are talking or how you're, you're acting, um, we usually say that when someone is being mysterious, or they're being vague, or they're intentionally hiding something, right? So if you've been very cryptic with your words, it means you're hiding your true meanings or you're hiding your true intentions. And so the idea that Paul is trying to remind us um, is that if we, have if we have truly been raised with Christ, then our lives, our true lives, I'm going to come back to this idea of what, what true life is. Our true lives are hidden, it's crypto, uh, in Christ, and in order to discover that true life, in order to find that true life, we must seek after Jesus, not anything else. Outside of identity in Christ, true life remains cryptic. It remains vague. It remains un unattainable, ununderstandable, mysterious, and hidden. Um, and so uh, the word that Paul uses there for life, um, he says, I'm just reading again, uh, you died and your life is hidden with Christ. That word life is the Greek word zoe. It does not just mean living and breathing, okay? It, doesn't, it does not just mean existence, okay? Uh, the Greek word zoe, it refers more to an absolute fullness of life, um, essential life, ethical life. I'm gonna read a definition from Strong's, Strong's Concordance because I like, I just love how this brings the idea together. So when, when we read the word life in Paul, in Colossians, he's saying, uh, life that is real and genuine, a life active and vigorous, devoted to God, blessed in the portion, even in this world, of those who put their trust in Christ, but after the resurrection to be consummated by new accessions, among them a more perfect body and to last forever. When we use the word life casually, I don't think that's what we mean when someone says, oh, I'm living my best life, I don't think you're really living the fullness of Zoe life that Paul's talking about here. So he's not saying we just find our existence or our ongoing breathing in Christ. He means the fullness of what life was always intended to be, the essential qualities of life, our hopes and our joys, and our purposes, and all those things in this life and in the, in the eternal 
are found, they are hidden in Christ. And there's only in pursuing and seeking in Christ those things become revealed. He continues this thought in verse four. He says, when Christ who is our life appears, so Christ is our Zoe, then you also will appear with him in glory. This is a beautiful picture of that ongoing mystery of what it means to identify in Christ, what it means to continue to pursue Jesus, is that we are constantly, so the, the, the more we pursue Jesus, the more we, we learn about and draw near to and understand the heart of Jesus. And Paul is saying the more we discover who we were always intended to be, the more we discover our Zoe life, because it's hidden in Christ, and so to find that, we have to get to know Christ. So the more we press into Jesus, the more we learn about ourselves, the more we learn about um, his purpose for us. It's this ongoing investigation into mystery. And in this life, it's progressively revealed by layers, right? We don't get the full revelation all at once. It's little by little. You get to know Jesus a little bit more, you learn a little bit more. A little bit more Jesus, a little bit more life, right? So in this life, it's progressively revealed by layers. But Paul writes that a time is coming. He says, when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And so when the time comes, when Jesus returns, then the fullness, and then there is no more little by little, the fullness of who we are in Christ, the fullness of that Zoe life is revealed in Jesus. Um, so uh, do, do you guys have like, like secret code with your family, you know, like you're out to dinner, right? And you're maybe around other people and you wanna, you wanna make sure your, your spouse or your child or whoever, they, they know that, you know, that they've done something wrong. <laughs> um, and, and you don't want anyone else to know because you don't wanna appear to be, the, like you, you, you don't wanna be the bad guy. So I can't let everyone else know that I'm upset, right? Um, and so there's, there's a cryptic, sign or signal or word or expression that you share with your loved one. And, and maybe they're minding their own, business, their own business and they look like, oh, oh, you know, and they might not know the fullness of what's, well, what they should know, but they know something's up, right? And everyone else uh, maybe is completely oblivious to it. For, for us growing up, my, um, every mom has a mom look, yeah? Um, and so... Um, <laughs> When, when we'd be out in public and my mom would give us the mom look, other people would, would, would see it and they would know that, hey, something's not right. But her children would know the fullness of what that meant. Um, and her, her cryptic code for, uh, for when it was time to get spanked for us, because that was back when that was still okay, um, uh, was she would say, do you need to go to the bathroom? You know, because that's where it happened. <laughs> um, and so if we had people over for dinner, and, you know, we're just, we're just kids. Who knows what we were doing? And she says, you know, do you need to go to the bathroom? Our guest might be like, this kid's like eight. He doesn't need you to tell him to go to the bathroom, you know. But we knew that meant, oh, we, 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 have, we have trespassed in some way. <laughs> and if we need to get back in line, figure out quickly what we did wrong. Um, and then uh, when, we, when we got home, the fullness of revelation was revealed to us. In one way, right? Um, I don't know if that's the best illustration because that's the kind of a, we, we want to avoid that. But if we were to take that and put a positive spin on it, uh, so, so even, even for those of us in Christ, there are these, these this, is, this cryptic pursuit of Jesus. We see hints and we see glimpses and we know something's up. We know there's something more to it. Um, although for us, unlike myself as a child, we want more of it. We pursue more of it. Um, and, and, and the people around us might, might see, hey, some, something's up, but, but they don't understand the fullness of it the way we do. Uh, and then when Jesus returns and calls us home, then the full revelation is made known. And so this, uh, this mystery of the gospel, and again, if you remember, Paul's using this language of hidden and mystery and cryptic because that's what the Colossians were being deceived into believing that they needed to find outside of Christ. They were being deceived into believing that hidden um, that the true meaning and hidden truth is found in, in, in earthly philosophies. And Paul said, no, 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 all of these things, the hidden truth of who you are, of your Zoe life, of what you were always intended to be, all of that is hidden, but it's hidden in Christ. And you don't find it by, by researching more and by, by denying yourself certain things. You find it by pursuing Jesus. And so um, I want to make one more observation here, chapter four, and then we'll move on. Paul says, 
um, when Christ, who is our life. So here's a key distinction that we need to keep in our thinking. Uh, Jesus does not just give us life. I know um, it's, it's easy for us to read scripture and, and, and to, to think about our, our faith and, uh, as, as Jesus being the source of life because he is, he, he is that, but he's so much more. And we think, um, okay, so, so Jesus gives me life. No, no. Jesus says, I am life. And that, that truth has changed so much about how I think about my faith. In John 14, 6, um, God has brought this verse back to my, my mind over and over and over again. And this, it's, it's, it's been, uh, it's been this, this, this well of, of understanding. And now um, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We often read that verse and we think, um, Jesus points us in the way. Um, Jesus teaches us truth, or Jesus offers us life. And those are just the, those are the tips of the iceberg of what the true meaning of those words are. Jesus doesn't say, I'm going to show you the way. He says, I am the way. If you're looking for direction in life, you don't ask Jesus, Jesus, tell me which way to go in life. Jesus says, I am the way. If you're looking for direction in life, you just press deeper into relationship with me. If we're looking for truth, we're saying, Jesus, teach me truth. And Jesus says, I can teach you truth. But the fullness of truth is only going to be fully understood and received when you are in fullness of relationship with me. And we think so often of Jesus as the gateway to heaven and in some ways, he is, and I said this, I think, last week, but he's so much more than that. Um, we don't go through Jesus to get to heaven. Jesus is, he is life, okay? And so um, that should have a dramatic impact on, 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 on his role in our identity. He's not the means to an end. He is the end. And in him, all things are consumed. Everything finds its consummation in him. I love how last week Pastor Brian said that Jesus is our Sabbath, right? That, that in him, when we are in him, we, we are at rest. He doesn't just give us rest. He is rest. And it's like, have you seen these, um, these T-shirts or these bumper stickers or these, these, these slogans, wherever they are, that, you know, um, Fill in whatever the blank would be for you, but this thing is life. Like, let's say you, your hobby is hunting, or like, hunting is life, right? Or maybe you just love coffee, like me, um, and like, coffee is life. There's some truth to that, okay? Um, but uh, but what, what, what are we, now those statements are being a little facetious, obviously, but what are they trying to say? They're trying to say that the fullness of, 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 of life for me is when I am experiencing this. Right? So if fishing is life, then I am experiencing the fullness of life when I'm fishing. Now, again, I, think they're being, I hope they're being a little facetious. But um, if, uh, if that's true, then truly only Jesus is life. We are only uh, whole. We are only complete when we are in Christ. And so uh, on to verse 5. I'm going to read verses 5 through 9, and then I'll go back and kind of do something similar so if these things are true, Paul's going to say, therefore, in verse 5, so therefore always looks back to what was just said. So if these things are true, therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off and there's that picture of putting off, of taking off. Put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds. And so the character and the qualities of that old nature, the old man, the old identity that we were talking about a few weeks ago, the identity that is rooted in sin. When Paul says in verse 5, your members which are of the earth... Uh, a better way of understanding that would be the parts of us, whatever they are, the parts of us that, that keep our focus tied to this earth, okay? Whatever part of you that keeps your focus and your heart 
tied to this earth. And instead of on Jesus, Paul says, put that to death. Die to that. That is tying you to a world that you were never meant for. That is tying you to uh, a a lower version of, of life, of Zoe, than what Jesus has for you. Anything that you cannot take with you in your pursuit of Jesus, if it, if it hinders you in any way, anything that you cannot say, I, 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 I can continue to pursue Jesus with this, uh, Paul says, just put it to death. It's not worth it. It's holding you back. Um, in 1 John 2, 15 through 16, uh, the Apostle John puts it this way. He says, do not love the world or the things in the world. Real quickly, um, he doesn't mean people, because John also wrote, quoting Jesus in John 3, 16, right, for God so loved the world, right? And we know in that context, he's talking about people. God so loved the people in the world. He says, whosoever believes in him. So when John says in 1 John 2, 15, do not love the world, he's not talking about people. We should love people. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. So in Scripture, when we're talking about worldly values, lust of the eyes, lust, um, lust of the flesh, you know, greed, the, um, greed for, for wealth, um, the pride of life, the desire for power, desire for authority, desire for prestige and respect of men. All those things, he says, those things are of the world. Don't don't love those things. Don't pursue those things. You can't carry those things with you and also follow after Jesus. Paul says, put those things to death. And so this focus that Paul is calling us to, um, it, it forces us to ask the question, How do we put those evil desires to death? Because have you ever tried to put your evil desires to death on your own? Have you ever desired, or have you ever tried to to say, okay, I know that I have this whatever it is, whether it's greed or lust or pride, and and, and I'm I'm gonna put it to death. I'm I'm gonna do this in my own strengths. And and again, as I said before, you just, you meet with discouragement and failure over and over again. Scripture gives us a little bit of a pathway. Uh, It says, I'm going to read three verses that I think enhance what Paul is saying here. If you're struggling to put these things to death in your life, uh, I would encourage you, I would invite you to meditate on these three passages that have borne much fruit for me. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 through 5, again, this is Paul writing. He says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, they're not earthly, they're not physical things but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. So so he says the weapons that we use, they are mighty and powerful for tearing down these strongholds, tearing down the things that we can't beat on our own. He says, um, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And there have been so many times in my life where God has has brought great victory in me, Um, just internally in me by me praying, Lord, take these thoughts captive. I can't do it. I don't have the strength or the will to take these thoughts captive and bring them under submission to Jesus, but Lord, you do. And so we take every thought captive and put it under submission to Jesus. And then after that, uh, we need to renew our minds in the Holy Spirit. Romans 12, 2 says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And so once we bring those invasive worldly thoughts and desires under submission to Christ, then we need to be renewed. We need to be changed. We need to continue to, to, uh, to pursue conformity to, conformity to Jesus um, and then meditate on the things of God. Philippians 4.8, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, Whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Um, All of these things, bringing your thoughts under submission to Jesus, renewing your mind in the Holy Spirit, and then meditating on the things of God, all of those things are impossible on your own. And they're only possible in the power of the Spirit. Um, And 
in the identity, in, in identifying with Christ. And little by little, and here's, here's the key, little by little, you starve the flesh. How do you starve something? You don't feed it. And, and if you're starving something, it doesn't die right away, right? It takes time. Little by little, you feed the spirit, and the spirit grows stronger. You starve the flesh, and the flesh grows weaker. And eventually, um, these things come under submission, and, you, and, and, and you're able to, 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 to walk a little bit more in that Zoe life in Christ. And then Paul says, <clears throat> because of these things, in verse 6, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. Um, and so as long as we are feeding the flesh, as long as we, we, we aren't starving those things, as long as we continue to walk in those things, Paul says we walk in wrath. Um, I, was, I was teaching a, a Bible class uh, years ago. Um, it, was, it, was, it, was, um, it was an elective class for Mill Creek High School, and I was teaching it. And the kids would, would be able to, to be released from school and come to our church and take a, a, a class in the Bible. And I remember, I remember talking about God being a God of wrath. And one of the students was super offended that I would say that God has wrath. So she, and, she, and, and most of these kids were, were church kids. They were believers. And, they were, and, and she, she looked at me and said, so you're saying that, that God is a God of wrath? I'm like, well, I'm not saying that. <laughs> Scripture says that, right? Um, and there's something, of, there's something that, that is abrasive to us that offends us, that makes us feel like, well, I don't deserve that um, when we read in Scripture that we walk in wrath when we feed the flesh, okay? Um, but to neglect the truth of God's wrath and his justice is to completely undermine the wonder of his grace and forgiveness. If there's no wrath, then what is it that Jesus has actually saved us from? He's saved us from much more than just our sins, right? Um, and then so Paul says, um, um, where are we? I lost my place. Verse 6. Uh, verse 7, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them, but now you yourselves are to put off all these things. Okay, so there it is. So uh, put off. Um, don't dress yourself in your old identity anymore. And so we're going to, again, um, refer to this quite a bit for the rest of, the, of this morning's passage. Um, if, you were, if you were a prisoner, okay, and you, you're in prison, uh, and um, you're not allowed to bring your civilian clothes into prison, I don't know for sure, <laughs> Um, as far as I know, from, from all the movies I've watched, uh, you're not allowed to wear your civilian clothes in prison. You're given a special prison jumpsuit that indicates that you are incarcerated, right? Um, you are in bondage. You're in prison, okay? Um, and so if you were a prisoner, you're forced to wear this, this amazing orange prison jumpsuit that everyone wishes they could wear. Um, but then someone comes and pays your your debt, your fine, whatever it is, and gets you released and sets you free. And not only do they set you free, but they've also gone out and purchased and given you a brand new wardrobe of the finest, whatever you like to wear, you know, the finest suits or the finest dresses or the finest sweatpants, um, whatever it is. And they're saying, here, you can cast off that prison jumpsuit, the orange thing. Now I bought you all these brand new, shiny new clothes. Why would you ever put back on that prison jumpsuit? Why would you ever be like, well, I'm, I'm super comfortable in this, though. I've, I've kind of worn into it. And now, you know, I like it. I'm comfortable in it. I'm going to keep wearing my prison clothes. We wouldn't do that, right? But that's essentially what Jesus has done for us. And what Paul is saying, he's saying, don't put on the rags of bondage. Don't put on the rags of slavery when Jesus has, has set you free. Instead, put on the new wardrobe in Christ. Uh, so in verse 10, he says, and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free. But Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on Love, which is the bond of perfection. 
want to backtrack briefly to verse 10 uh, because there's a very theologically rich phrase that Paul says here. He says, um, put, put on the new man, so we're supposed to dress ourselves in the new man, who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Renewed means to find a new strength or a new kind of life. Uh, knowledge in this context does not refer to intimacy. A lot, of, a lot of times when we see in Scripture the word knowledge or, or, or know is drawing us into intimacy, know someone intimately. That's not what this Greek word means. The Greek word here for knowledge is to uh, have precise and correct knowledge. So it does refer to an understanding, a mental understanding. An image is not just a physical likeness. When Scripture says we're made in the image of God, it's not just, and it's probably not at all, a physical likeness, but a moral and, and mental likeness, okay? So the new us, Paul is saying the new us whose identity is found in Christ, we find new strength, we experience a new kind of life when we conform to an authentic and precise knowledge of the person and heart of Jesus Christ. Accurately understanding what Jesus values and how he thinks changes everything about how we live. And then he goes through this list of all these things, neither Greek or Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, all that stuff. Um, and what he's saying is that there are no categories in Christ. There are no, um, um, you know, you're, you're in this uh, category um, or, you know, you are closer to Jesus here because this is how you were born or whatever. Jesus is all-consuming, and in him, any other identity is all-consumed. In Paul's time, these, these categories that he mentioned, uh, they would have been categories of favor with God. Look at them again. Greek or Jew, um, in Paul's world, if you were a Jew, you were considered closer to God than if you were a Greek, circumcised or uncircumcised. Pastor Brian did a great job last week talking about how that was kind of a trap of legalism for them as well. If you were circumcised, you were even better. Barbarian or, or Scythian, slave or free. And so in Paul's time, <clears throat> a civilized, circumcised, independent Jew was top of the heap, what we might consider a super-Christian in today's world. Today... Paul might have written something like, in Christ, there is no Baptist, Methodist, or Calvary chapel. There is no American or Russian or African. There is no Republican or Democrat or Independent. All those identities are consumed by Christ, and they cease to exist when we are in Christ. They're certainly not going to exist in the kingdom. And the only purpose they should serve in this life um, is how they provide opportunities to bring more glory to Jesus. So Paul said, I'll become all things. I'll become anyone. You know, Paul's like, I'll become all things to all people so that, so that in some way I can win someone for the gospel. And you might hear that and you might think, well, that makes you double-minded or that makes you wishy-washy or unpatriotic or disloyal or flighty. Scripture would say that makes you Christ-centered. That makes you Christocentric above anything else. Not that those things aren't important, okay? But they're consumed by identity in Christ. And they don't matter when Jesus is all that matters. Therefore, Paul says, put on, because of our identities, put on these things as the elect of God. When you look at this list, put on tender mercies, Kindness, humility, meekness, all those things. Um, that sounds a lot like Jesus, right? I mean, Paul is basically describing Christ. And so again, as I said at the beginning, um, you cannot put on the new wardrobe of Christ without looking like Christ. Um, we won't wear it perfectly, Right? There, there are going to be times where we don't, we don't quite wear it just right. But if the outside world cannot look at our lives and at least for the most of the time see Jesus in the way we live, then we need to ask ourselves, which clothings are we wearing? Are we wearing the rags of bondage? Are we wearing the rags of imprisonment? Or are we wearing the new 
wardrobe of Christ. And I want to extend that metaphor beyond its welcome. I know we've been leaning on that a lot this morning. But there are no off-brands in wearing Christ. Okay. Again, you can fool yourself for a little while. You can fake it. You can fool even other people who may not know better. But ultimately, if you're wearing a fake version of Jesus, it will be made known because Jesus himself will make it known. Right? Jesus is not okay with people wearing like off-brand Jesus for very long. Right? He's going to come and make that right. The worship team can come up. Finally, he says in verse 14, above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Um, we have already said so much about the imperative to love. I feel like it's like we're a broken record sometimes. Even in our Wednesday night Bible study, you know, in First Thessalonians, it's, 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 it's all about love. And, um, but, but it's what Scripture testifies to. And so we're, we're going to preach Scripture, you know. Um, and so Paul says you can put on all these things, but above all else, you need to, to he calls it the bond of perfection. And in the metaphor of, of, of clothing, I think about belts and buckles and fasteners and that all of these things, the wardrobe of Christ is brought together and held together by putting on the love of Christ. And we can't, we can't talk about the love of Christ without inevitably coming to Matthew 22, 37 through 40, because it's always it, it, it has to speak into our understanding of, uh, of how we live out the identity of Christ in love. It says, Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. If, if our identity in Christ is not held together by the bond of love, Christ's love, it will inevitably fall apart. Um, without the love of Christ at the core of our identity and at the core of our lifestyle, Jesus says the Old Testament law and prophets testify against us. Um, they testify against our faith that it is empty and void and worth nothing other than to be burned up along with the wood, the hay, and the stubble. No other security can hold our salvation in Christ together. So if you have tried or you're still trying to hold your identity or your security together, and you're trying to bind it with something, anything other than King Jesus in your life, then the Spirit is calling upon you this morning to lay that down. Not just to lay it down. Don't just take off those prison rags. Burn them. Die to them. Let go of them completely and surrender and put on instead the new robes of a Christ-centered identity of holiness and hope. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, thank you that by your blood you purchased for us a new wardrobe in Christ. Thank you that because of the work of Christ on the cross, we don't have to walk around as prisoners any longer. We don't have to fake things. We don't have to go through the motions. We don't have to pretend to be someone that we're not. Lord, we can, we can live in the fullness of who we really are because of Jesus. Father, would you, would you teach all of us more of what that Zoe life actually is, that we wouldn't settle for a lower version, a lesser version, a temporary version of, of, of living that leads to nothing but destruction. Lord, would you... Would you instead impress upon us something better and something holier? Um, and, 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 and I pray that we would, we would discover that as we pursue more of Christ. Lord, thank you again for, for how good you are and all you have done. We offer you this time in Christ's name. Amen.